Hey, good to see you guys. Hey, everybody, what's up? Hey, we've never met again. My name is Samer, and uh, I get to serve here uh, as lead pastor at Woodstock City, but TLR have a special place in my heart because I got to lead the living room for the longest time, and so, uh, so excited that they asked me to come kick this semester off. So great to be with you guys. As we kick off a brand new series called This Hits Different. Uh, I could go around the room and ask a bunch of you what that might be for you. I've got, a, I might ask you, so be thinking about it. I haven't decided yet if I'm gonna ask you or not, but I've got a couple things for me that just hit different. Um, one of them, and I can't do it as much anymore because whether I want to admit it or not, I'm getting older, but like Taco Bell at like 11.30 at night, you know what I'm saying? It, like by 1 a.m. you hate it, but it, it hits different right at 11.30, like a, 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 cr- a supreme like crunchy gordita, what is it? Gordita crunch? Whatever, the one with both, the soft and the hard taco or the cinnamon twists, let's get it. Uh, hit different, hit different. Uh, an old man nap on the couch where you like wake up and for a second you don't know where you are. You know what I mean? Like those just, just hits different. This, I might be in the minority here, uh, but I love having meals on an airplane. I just do. There's something about the, that, yeah, you can judge me. I think they're awesome, not because the food's awesome. There's something that, it just hits different eating on an airplane. I just love it in the roll that's way stale, but it just, I eat it. You open it up, you know, like it's like a little fruit roll up, but it's a piece of bread. Um, how about this one? We talked about this earlier, um, but it hits different whenever um, your hometown teams win a national championship. After decades long drought, the Braves, 26, 25 years, and UGA, 41 years in the same season. In the same season. That's not supposed to happen to the state of Georgia, but it did. You know, like, that's awesome. That, that my man, it does. Thank you. It absolutely does. Here's one, okay? Um, Publix commercials during the holidays. Bro, especially when you have kids, but even if you don't, they just hit different. It makes me want to shop at Publix, even though it's more expensive than Kroger. Um, but love it. it's a shopping really is a pleasure there. Um, they just hit different. Saying I can go around the circle and things that unexpectedly just kind of hit different. And let me just take you immediately where we're going for the next few weeks of this series. When you get a clear picture of who Jesus actually is, it hits different. That when you get a clear picture of who Jesus really is, when you get a clear picture of his heart, when you get a clear picture of his intention, when you get a clear picture of who he is and who he came to be, it just hits different. That no matter what you're walking in with today, whether you're somebody walking in, you're exploring faith, you're not a person of faith, or you've been following Jesus for quite some time, no matter where you are on that faith spectrum, when you get a clear picture of who Jesus is, when you get a clear understanding of his heart for you and his heart for me and his heart for the world, it just hits different. It hits your heart different. It hits your mind different. It hits your soul different. And your life and your faith will never be the same. And so what we're gonna do over the next few weeks of the series is we're gonna be looking at a few specific interactions that are recorded for us in the Gospels and the New Testament where Jesus interacts with different people and in these interactions, we learn about the heart 
of Jesus. We learn about the character of Jesus. We learn about why he came and why we think Jesus is a really, really big deal. And here's why I'm so excited about the series is because if you're unsure about faith or, or maybe you didn't grow up going to church and maybe you had a weird church experience or if we're just being real, maybe you kind of thought like or think not offended at all, just don't raise your hand and yell at me, like Christians are just kind of weird, or this whole invisible faith thing is weird, or like during worship, why are people raising their hands, like is there a question, like you're just, I'm not, what, what, what exactly is going on, why is all of this that big of a deal? Well, I'm so excited for you to be here because it's all a big deal for one reason and one reason only, and it's because of Jesus, because of what we think about Jesus and who we believe him to be. And if you are a Jesus follower in the room and you're just kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Can I just tell you, um, even if you are a Jesus follower, and this is true for me, I've been following Jesus for, I don't know, I have to go back and count how old am I, I'm not going to tell you, but it's been, I don't know, probably at least 20 years I've been following Jesus. Every single year, there's something new that I learned about Jesus. Even last year, I've been, I read a book that just rocked my world. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And, and here I am, like I'm a professional Christian, and I'm just getting re-hit with who Jesus really is. And it changes everything. It changes everything for you and for me. So a question I think is worth asking. Who is Jesus to you? Like what is your preconceived notion of who Jesus is? is. And if you're a Jesus follower, here's an interesting question. Ready? In your most difficult moments or in the moments when you're kind of most ashamed of yourself, who is Jesus to you? In your darkest moments, who is Jesus to you? For those of you on the outside of faith, who is Jesus to you? Like, if like for some of us, when, when, we, when we think of who Jesus is, a mental picture that comes into our mind is like some kind of like law keeper or like a big old rule book. And Jesus is just somebody that's all about keeping the rules and making sure we are staying in line. And, and faith is just something that, that kind of keeps us in line. And I just got to follow the rules. And if I don't, there will be consequences. Or maybe another image that might come to mind is like a lawyer that writes up a contract. A contract is you keep up your end of the deal, and if you don't, then you don't get this. Or if you do keep up your end of the deal, then you do get this. You do all these things, you get to heaven. You don't do all these things, you don't get to heaven. You do these things, your life will be okay. You don't do these things, then life won't be okay for you. Or maybe your picture of Jesus, and even if it's not all the time, maybe even just at times, is that of like a parent that punishes their kid. All right, anyone get spanked? Anyone ever get spanked with a, a wooden spoon? Yeah, well, who was that, Frank? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, we're trying to figure out how to discipline our kids, and it's, it's really hard, and especially when girls have me wrapped around their finger. Like if, like, Harper gives me this face, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't even mean, but I feel terrible. But, um, but like, yeah, like a little wooden spoon, like you're just gonna get spanked or whatever that timeout situation was for you, like that, that Jesus is like this parent looking over your shoulder, waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you to do something wrong, waiting for you to party, waiting for you to go too far with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, waiting for you to cheat, waiting for you to drink too much, waiting for you to do this, whatever that thing is that you did, and then suddenly it's like, okay, Jesus is peering over my shoulder, and I'm going to be punished that this thing went wrong in my life and it had to be because Jesus is punishing me for something that I did. Or maybe your, your kind of mental image of Jesus, you, you know those little stuffed animal looking backpack things that they put on demon-possessed kids to keep them from running away? <laughs> y'all know, know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Y'all ever, ever worn one? Anybody? You remember? I don't, yeah, okay. But they're like little backpacks, but they're leashes because they like 
snap in, snap in. Now you can't go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> and, and for some of you, that's, that's what it is. That's what it feels like following Jesus. That, that it's just someone that is restricting your freedom, telling you what not to do, where not to go, ripping you off from enjoying the good life, ripping you off from experiencing college the way that it should be experienced. Every time you try to turn right, Jesus wants to pull you left. And every time you try to turn left, Jesus wants to pull you right. And you just kind of feel confined and restricted. Maybe that's the mental image that you have of Jesus. Or, or maybe for some of you, who Jesus is to you, and this is just as dangerous as any of them. It's kind of the opposite side of it. You, you use faith as a weapon. That for some of you, your faith and your belief system is, is the thing that kind of gets you to go after people. It's, it's, it's the baseline that you use to give your opinions on social media in a way that is not loving or constructive or helpful. It's you going at and judging your roommates or your, your brother or your sister or your parents or someone that you don't even know because you're just kind of on this high horse. It's almost like Jesus is like strapping you on with this UFC glove and it's like, oh, you said a cuss word? I'm gonna punch you in the throat. You know, it's like this. <laughs> it puts you in a position of superiority because that's what your picture of Jesus is. Yeah, okay, perfect son of God, knows no sin, so that's who I need to be to the world. Or name your picture of Jesus, but, but if you have a distorted view of Jesus, you are never going to experience the full life that he came to offer you. And if you have a distorted view of Jesus, you're never gonna be able to fully join in on the mission that he's invited all of us into. And if you have a distorted view of Jesus, faith is never going to be the thing that changes your life for the better. In fact, if you have a distorted view of Jesus, you've put your faith in the wrong thing. So for the next few weeks, starting tonight, that hits different. Who Jesus really is. And as we look at some of these interactions that are recorded for us in the Gospels, that in the moment, like those people who experienced what happened, for some of these stories, they're gonna be pretty normal for some of you. Like you would have heard them growing up before or you've heard them in church before. Can I just tell you, I'm believing that God can take a story that you've heard a couple times and show you something new. Like I'm believing, I'm believing that if you grew up in church and you've heard some of these stories, I'm believing that there's a new thing for you to take out of these for your heart. But these interactions where Jesus had with these people in that moment and in the first century, it would have been like, oh my gosh, this hits different. This rabbi is just different. And the first one that I wanna jump in today, today is tonight is when Jesus calls one of his earliest disciples recorded for us in Matthew chapter Nine, And so we're gonna jump there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the order. So if you see Mark, just go back one. But we're gonna jump into Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse nine. Uh, verse, yeah, verse nine. So here Jesus is walking with, with some of his disciples. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Really, really important detail. Matthew is a tax collector that matters because in the New Testament, in the Gospels, if you were a tax collector, you were your own category of bad. In fact, oftentimes in the Gospels, you hear, and we're gonna see this just a little bit later in the story, that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Like they were so bad, they had their own category of bad. And the reason why they had their own category of bad is because here's what a tax collector was. They were Jewish people, 
that collected taxes from their own Jewish people for Rome, okay? So they were backed by the power of Rome. But because they were backed by the power of Rome, nobody could tell them how much to collect. So what these tax collectors would do is they would collect more taxes from their own people than they actually needed so they could pay Rome and pocket the rest. And nobody could tell them not to because they were backed by the power of Rome. So they were sellouts of the worst kind. They were getting rich off of their own people. They cheated their own people. They were liars. They had, you know, it was like racketeering. Like they were the worst of the worst so bad that it was like, no, no, we can't even lump them into sinners. They're their own category of sinner. They are tax collectors. If you saw a tax collector in the first century, and you were a person of faith or you were a Pharisee or whatever, I mean, you, you, you judge them. If you were a rabbi, you're thinking, how dare you? If only your mom knew who you became. I mean, they were just the worst of the worst, sellouts of the worst kind. And to be a rabbi, talk about polar opposites, to be a rabbi was the most respected thing that you could do in first century Judaism, I mean, even today in Jewish culture, but to be a rabbi, like you were one of the most esteemed pe people in the culture if you're a rabbi. Like if you are a parent and you have a, a son, you want them to be a rabbi one day. Like it's a huge deal. In fact, to be invited to follow a rabbi and be a disciple of a rabbi was a really big deal. It was like for the elite of the elite, like being a rabbi or being the disciple of a rabbi was kind of like going to Harvard. Like it was kind of like the Ivy League kind of thing. It was a huge deal, respected. So you've got Jesus the rabbi, Matthew, the tax collector, comes up to the tax collector booth, and this is what Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me. And then maybe even more bizarre, Matthew got up, and he followed him. Now, you got to understand what Jesus was inviting him into. Jesus was not inviting Matthew into a, hey man, let's stroll down, get a Starbucks, and then just kind of, you know, get to know each other and then go our separate ways. I'll see you on the gram later. No, no, no. Jesus was inviting Matthew into intimate relationship. He didn't say, follow me and let's see where this goes. He said, hey, come follow me. Come be one of my disciples. Come learn how I do life. Come emulate your life with me. Come literally follow in my footsteps day in and day out. What Jesus was saying with this invitation was, I'm going to closely associate myself with you and you are going to be closely associated with me. Come follow me. Come be on the inside with me. Come be one of my selected few. And maybe what stands out in some ways even more than what Jesus did say, that's what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey, Matthew, get yourself right, then come follow me. He didn't say, hey, Matthew, all that money that you stole, give all the money back, then come follow me. He didn't say, hey, listen, you need to like get your character right and you need to do some hard work and you need to figure out how in the world you're gonna get yourself right and fix all the wrongs and fix your reputation amongst all of the Jewish community. You need to do all of that then and only then come follow me. No, no, he looked at Matthew as he was. He looked at Matthew right in the midst. He's literally at the booth 
He literally is catching him in the wrongdoing. And in the midst of that, he says, hey, come follow me. And then, (laughs) where does they go next? Well, the text tells us, Matthew tells us that they go to Matthew's house. So come follow me and the disciples. I wish I could see the disciples' faces in this moment. Like, they, they would have been so uncomfortable Maybe even like annoyed, like, Jesus, are we doing this again? We're gonna get looks. Like, like why are we going? Why are we inviting Matthew? Like, he literally stole taxes from you. Like, I wish I could see their, their faces and experience the emotion they were feeling. Because not only did he invite him to follow, but then while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So it's not even, hey, come follow me. Sharing a meal with somebody was a really intimate thing. Like, this was not something that you just did with anybody. Like, even, even if you're the most extrovert of all extroverts, inviting somebody over that you don't really know to have, like, a meal with you, that's kind of like an intimate thing, you know? And maybe even more intimate, like, you're not gonna just invite, like, a random person. Like, let's say you just met a new friend, and, you know, like, oh, hey, we're, we're whatever. You're not gonna say, we just met. Do you wanna come have lunch in my apartment? It's kind of weird, because there's an intimacy there, like, coming into my space, into my home, and sharing a meal together. What are we gonna talk about? <laughs> you know? Like, I don't, what, what, what? It's just, it's, it's kind of weird. It's intimate. And so here's Jesus. Here's Jesus saying, we're gonna dine together. We're gonna share a meal together. In fact, in fact, in the first century, in the first century, um, you, you could study the, the kind of the culture. This is what the culture would have been. To share a meal is to share a life. That's what a rabbi, that's what Jewish people would have, would have how they lived their life. That was the code. To share a meal is to share a life. Like that's how intimate it was to share a meal with somebody. So here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm gonna share my life with you. Not only you, Matthew, but get on your group text and get all the other task collectors and sinners that you know to come hang out. It's like Jesus was like, yeah, 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 no, just one of you isn't enough. I want to hang out with all of the crew. And, and here's what's crazy. They all came. <laughs> they knew who Jesus was. They had heard about this rabbi. At the very least, they knew he was a rabbi. And they all came. Hold on to that thought. And then when the Pharisees, the religious elitists of the day, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples. It's almost like, I don't know if, if, if maybe they didn't think Jesus would hear them. I don't know if like maybe Jesus was in another, another room. You know, I, I don't know what was going on. But they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I don't know if they were trying to make the disciples feel bad, but they asked this question. But it's, I don't really mean it as a question. It was actually an indictment disguised as a question. It's like when I walk out of, my room to get ready to go to work and my wife Julie says is that what you're wearing and I'm like not anymore you know she's not genuinely curious about the question about what she isn't really asking me she's telling me nah don't like it so they're not actually asking why does he eat with them it's an indictment of I can't believe that your teacher the one that you follow I can't believe that he associates with them I cannot believe that he would dine with them. I cannot believe that he would build a relationship with them. I cannot believe that he is reaching out to them. I cannot believe that he is spending time with them. To share a meal is to share a life. I cannot believe he is sharing any of his life 
with them. Then Jesus, whether he overheard because he had ears like us because he was human, or he overheard because he's God and he can hear whatever he wants, he goes on and Matthew tells us on hearing this, on Jesus hearing what they said, Jesus said to them, this is, you, you gotta remember, like Matthew and all of his friends are in the room when Jesus said this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You think Matthew's like, bro, will you chill? Why are you calling us sick? You know, I invited them over. Be chill, be chill, be chill. And then Jesus says this. He says to the Pharisees, but go. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, <laughs> in front of Matthew, in front of all of his friends, hey, I didn't come for you. I came for the sinners, the ones that I'm hanging out with. And here's the irony. The Pharisees fell into this category. They just didn't know it. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does he mean by that? That the Pharisees, they were really, really good at offering sacrifices for their sin. That's what you had to do in Judaism before Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice. You had to sacrifice um, animals, like blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so whenever there was sin, you would go and you'd give your sacrifice to the temple and then your sins would be forgiven. And so with Jesus saying, hey, listen, you're great at doing this whole religion thing, you going getting right with God, but I desire mercy, I desire compassion. I'm not interested in you just being good at religion. I want you to reflect the heart of God in your relationships. I don't desire just fake sacrifice, empty sacrifice in the name of religion. If you're going to fail, to show compassion and mercy to people. And then Jesus saying, I didn't even come to call the righteous. He's being sarcastic because the Pharisees thought they were righteous. But the irony is that nobody is right on their own. Nobody can be right enough to live in relationship with God on their own. Jesus said, no, no, I've come for those that know Something's missing. I came for those that are willing to admit they're sinners, that have a problem that they can't fix on their own. That the Pharisees wanted to put an emphasis on religion. And Jesus said, no, no, I've come to introduce something totally brand new. I'm going to put the emphasis on relationship. The Pharisees were all tied up in legalism. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not coming to do that. This isn't a game of Simon Says, I've come to put the emphasis on love and having that do the heavy lifting. The Pharisees were interested in the outward appearance, how you looked to the world, regardless of what was going on on the inside. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna see beyond the outer shell. I'm gonna see beyond the lack of authenticity. I'm interested in the heart. Pharisees put an emphasis on ritual. And Jesus was like, I'm not interested in your empty ritual. No, 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 we serve a God of compassion who sees people as people. So here we have this moment I think a pretty pivotal moment in the eyes of everybody watching where Jesus is putting his stake in the ground for what he's gonna be about. Maybe said differently, who he's going to be about. Not the person that thinks they've got it all figured out, not the person that has it all together. No, no, quite the opposite. Obviously the one that doesn't. In fact, the perfect candidate 
in this moment that Jesus is telling us to follow him is not somebody that thinks they have it all together, but knows that they don't. So a couple observations out of this text. And the first is, is a fascinating one. People who were nothing like Jesus loved being around Jesus. Like people that, they were nothing like him. People that did not keep the, the, the law, the ones that the sinners, the ones that were the tax collectors, like you just, y'all are not supposed to roll together. They could not get enough of Jesus. Oftentimes, multiple times, I should go count throughout the gospels how many times sinners and tax collectors are sitting there listening to Jesus and then the Pharisees come rolling in. People that are nothing like him couldn't get enough of him. Can I ask you a question if you're a Jesus follower in the room? Is this true of you? Is this true of me? Like, who are you not associating with because you've got the wrong filter on? Who are you not inviting in because you've got the filter of the Pharisees and not the filter of Jesus? Remember, Jesus said, I have come to call. I have come to call not the righteous, not the ones that think they're healthy, but the ones that know they're not. Are you joining in on the call? Am I joining in on the call? Like, who are you building relationships with to model the heart of Jesus? Who are you investing in to model and reflect the heart of Jesus? There's no secret in the world that we live in, especially today, especially seemingly for a number of different reasons we don't have time to get into, in the past couple of years, the greater kind of population, the reputation of Christians isn't, oh yeah, everything's better when they're around. Man, that wasn't true when Jesus was here. And we are his reflection. And the only way we can change that reputation is one relationship at a time, one interaction at a time a time, one person at a time. But if it doesn't start with you and with me, then it doesn't matter whatever happens on a stage or whatever happens in church, because they're not even gonna get here to begin with. This has to be true of us. And I'm telling you, just like people, just like people in the first century that are having these experiences with Jesus and thinking, man, this is, just, this is just different. May it be said of anybody that interacts with Jesus followers in this room, man, that was just different. That just hit different. That's not the kind, that, that's not what I thought of when I thought of Christian. There was something different about their heart different about the way that they loved, different about the kindness that they extended. The, kind of, the patience was different. The way they talked about me, the way they took an interest in my life was just different. The second big thing that I wanna pull out of this text that I think is worth you and I wrestling with is there are two messages, two messages going on here. And the first is the Pharisee's message. And the Pharisee's message was this, change and you can join us. Follow the law Get it right, clean it up, and then you can join us. But the message of Jesus was radically different. Follow me and you will change. Figure it out, change, get your stuff right, then you can join us, then you can belong, and then you can be a part of the Pharisee group, and then you will be a good Jewish person, and you will be right in, in line with God. But the message of Jesus was radically different. It wasn't change 
so that you can be a part. It wasn't change so you can follow. No, no, no. It was if, if you follow me, you will change. If you surrender your life and follow in my way, in my footsteps, you will change. Like if you get close enough, you will change. If you surrender your will, you will change. If you put on a lens or a filter, or at least be willing to ask that maybe what I want for myself isn't what is actually best for me, but maybe this guy named Jesus was onto something, you will change. If you allow yourself to continue to be curious about Jesus, you will change. You know this, you know this. Your closest relationships, they change you. Your healthiest relationships grow you and challenge you and allow you to see different perspectives. And the closer we get to following Jesus, it's inevitable. It rubs off in the best possible way. It's why I love our mission statement of our church. You know what we wanna do? We're gonna inspire people to follow Jesus, period. To actually follow him, like it's an action. It's this is how I'm living my life. Following Jesus isn't a belief statement. Following Jesus is a, this is how I live my life statement. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you will follow, if you will give it a chance, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's hard, even when you're unsure, even if you've got doubts, you follow me close enough and you will change. It's why he looked at Matthew in the midst of his junk, in the midst of his mess, in the midst of his sin, and he saw right through all of that. He saw something in Matthew that nobody else saw. And that Matthew is the one that wrote the gospel of Matthew. One of the most influential people in my life is our senior pastor, Andy Stanley. And he, he dropped this line when I was in college. And I've never forgotten it. Outside of my family, no one's influenced me in my life and my faith more than him. And he said this thing, and it reverberates in my, line, in my mind constantly, especially when I read about Jesus and the gospels. And this is what, what Andy said. He said, change, this is so brilliant. Change is not a prerequisite to following Jesus. Change is a result of following Jesus. <laughs> In college, you don't get prerequisites. You ain't take 101 yet, you can't take 102, right? There's not a one-on-one with Jesus. It's a, do you wanna follow or not? It's not a prerequisite, I love that language. It's so clear. No, no, it's a result. That if the model of your life is I'm gonna follow Jesus, the result is that you will change. You will grow. Those ugly parts of your life will begin to get rooted out. The things that you are not proud of, the things, watch this, that you think actually should hold you back from faith are the things that start to change because of your faith, because you started to follow. And, and this is crazy, but did you know that you could actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus before you fully believe? I mean, just roll in here for a second. The disciples, they didn't fully know who he was yet. They, saw he was just, they knew he was something different, needed some miracles, but, but they didn't fully know. In fact, when he died, they were terrified because they thought it was over. Before he rose three days later, they had no idea who they were really dealing with, but they followed. Because there was enough there, there was enough curiosity, there was something there, there was something different. You can follow, you can take some steps even before you fully believe 
and you changing and you cleaning yourself up and you getting your sin right, man, it's not a prerequisite. You can't. None of us can. <laughs> no, it's a result of following the Savior of the world. So if you're a Jesus follower, a couple thoughts I want to throw at you as we land the plane tonight. First, I want to encourage you for a second. If you are following Jesus, you need to know that changing is a process. It's called sanctification. It's a fancy word for growing into the image of Jesus. And you need to know that it's a process. Can I speak to the Jesus follower for a second? Like, if you've ever felt shame because you've messed up again, you promised yourself you wouldn't and you did. Or there's still stuff that you're struggling with and you're like, man, how am I still struggling with this? How is this still a part of my life? How is this insecurity still real? Like, I don't understand. Is there something wrong with my faith? Is there something wrong with me? Have you ever been to a point where like, oh man, it happened again and you felt so much shame that you couldn't even pray? You felt so much shame that there was even a part of you that didn't wanna come back to church because you just think, man, God's just done with me. Can I just be real with you? I certainly have and I probably will again. I mean, there are moments, can I be real? There are just moments where I'm like, why am I leading a church? Just being real. And it's in those moments that the Spirit of God reminds me when I slow down long enough to let Him speak to my heart. This is a process. Perfection is never the goal, it's impossible this side of heaven. But progress, and process, change is a result of following, and following is a lifelong activity. Second, for the Jesus follower, this is for me and for you, for both of us, we're gonna be challenged by this together. Can we stop putting unnecessary obstacles in the way of people that don't know Jesus yet? Even if they're just in your mind and in your heart and they never leave your mouth, but they dictate the way that you see people, they dictate the way you interact with people. They dictate the way that you view people and judge them silently in your hearts. Can we like together, and I'm, I'm just so bad at this because I, like compassion isn't, isn't natural, for, it's not really natural for anybody, but like my wife, it's way more natural for her. Jesus is further along in growing her than he is me. Some people should, but, but man, I just wanna be able to see people the way Jesus sees people all the time, no matter what, no matter the wrong, no matter the sin, no matter the ugly, no matter the story, no matter what they've done to me or to someone that I love. I wanna see people the way Jesus did. And then if you're not a Jesus follower, can I just tell you, you, know, you, you don't have to, to believe me, but maybe you'll just be curious. Just need you to hear me say this. Jesus is not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. Like for some of you, like we think Jesus is gonna restrict us, but come on, isn't it so true? There are things in your life that have been restricting you from the life you've always wanted and you keep going back to that thing, you keep going back to this, you keep going back to him, you keep going back to her and like there's literally nothing that seems to be fixing what you feel like is wrong. Can I just tell you, Jesus isn't here to try to hold you back. No, no, he wants to free you up for life to the full. He wants to free you up, not to a perfect life, but to a life where you can experience purpose, where you can experience hope, where you can experience grace, where you can experience not having to try to perform for everybody, but know that there's grace that forgives your shortcomings. Like 
in Matthew, can I just tell you, Jesus sees more in you than maybe you do. Jesus sees more in you than other people maybe ever have. And he's not worried about the sin. He's not worried about the struggle. He's not worried about the secret. He's not worried about the story because it can't be too bad. It can't be too dirty and you can't be too broken because with Jesus, there's nobody unreachable. There's nobody unredeemable. There's nobody untouchable. No, no, he came to get into the mess for you and for me. And for all of us, the same grace that sustains us as Jesus followers, the same grace that forgives you, it's the same grace that forgives your sins. Like it's all by grace, all the time. Nothing we've ever done to earn it or deserve it. No, 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 really for all of us, we were all at the tax collector's booth. And sometimes even us, even me, we kind of slide back into collecting taxes. But it's grace. And the invitation to follow is available to you and to me. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because Jesus came to invite you to follow. And if you feel like you have been and feel like you've messed it up, you haven't. If you feel like you're too far behind to catch up, it's not true. He's available, he's accessible to you. And I wanna close with this thought, Jesus, he doesn't come to give rules to dictate your life. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. Jesus came to offer a relationship that would change your life. Yes, there are ways in which Jesus has called us to live, <laughs> but it's because it's what's best for you. In the same way that I want my kids to be safe and healthy and to prosper, there are ways that I parent them and things that I don't let them do because it's not good for them even if they don't know it. Samantha doesn't understand that you can't stick things in electrical socket. But I do. He didn't come just to give you rules to dictate your life. It's bigger than that. He came to offer you a relationship to show you a way to truth, to life, to freedom, to offer you a relationship that if you let it, would change your life forever. But here's the beauty of it, and here's what should hit different for every single person in this room. It doesn't start because you change. The result of that relationship is that you and I will change and grow into the people that God has created us to be and the best possible versions of ourselves for a world looking for a proper reflection of the heart of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Would you give us eyes to see Jesus tonight for who he really is? Would you remind our spirits, would you refresh our minds to the goodness of Jesus, to the glory of Jesus, to the grace of Jesus? Would you open up our hardened hearts to his invitation to follow, to surrender? Would you, would you, would you prod our curiosity just a little bit more would you give us the courage? Would you give us the courage to ask the difficult questions? Would you give us the courage to see people in the world through the lens of Jesus? And would you give us eyes and the heart to believe tonight that because of Jesus, you see us as we are 
You accept us and you invite us. But you love us too much for us to stay that way. We love you. We're grateful for grace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.